Okay, what's up guys and welcome to episode 92 of Talk 4, the quickfire podcast where we ask four great questions to unique and interesting people. Behind the mic today is your host Louis Scoopian, that's me, and let me introduce our special guest for today, Goose McGrath, who's going to be answering our questions today. Goose, welcome aboard the Talk 4 podcast, man. Please just say hi to the fine people listening and give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you do, and then we're going to shoot some awesome questions your way. Awesome. Super excited to be here, Louise. So thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks to everyone who's tuning in to listen to this as well. My name is Goose, as you mentioned. Uh, I am an eight-figure nomad entrepreneur. I'm the CEO of Dashdot, one of Australia's fastest growing companies. And that is the Cliff Notes version. And we can dig into it more from there, as you like. <laughs> it's brilliant. And um, we've uh, we've juggled some busy schedules around here. And I think, I mean, it's just crazy. I love how time zones work. Actually, I don't love how time zones work. They're horrendous to schedule podcasts around. But yeah, Goose is in his evening time right now. I'm in my morning time. So this is this is pretty crazy. But, you know, testament to entrepreneurs like us who can uh, make cool stuff like this happen through busy schedules and ridiculous time zones i think um goose whereabouts are you calling in from today just inform our listeners where the awesome place is so right now i am talking to you from phuket in thailand overlooking the andaman sea on a beautiful sunny day and uh we've recently just moved to phuket we've just been here uh we've only been here for one week we'll probably be here for i reckon the next six months or so uh, and I mentioned, I mentioned just in a little quick intro there, that, you know, I consider myself to be a nomad entrepreneur. We've got a, a company that's based in Australia. So we've got a, a team of 91, but we run a hundred percent remote business. And so we have team all over Australia, but also other parts of the world as well. And I, uh, I like to try and leverage that to the best of my capabilities. So we spent about, we, we were based in Bali for 18 months and in for 12 of those 18 months, we traveled every two weeks. So we were sort of like in and out of Bali quite a lot. And now we're, now we're based in, in Phuket, Thailand. So I think that it's awesome that we have the capability through technology to be able to connect with each other. Like you're in the UK, I'm here in Thailand, you know, team in Australia. I think the connectivity that we all get to experience in the world today is just phenomenal and allows us to open up, open ourselves up to such a wide range of experiences. So yeah, I'm super grateful. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's uh, like I said to, to Goose at the start of the podcast before we went on, it's just such a testament to how far technology has come as well with the fact that, you know, I can be here in, Somerset in the UK out in the sticks with a with a Victorian courthouse down the road from me and then there's Goose over there in Thailand and we can have awesome conversation like this it's it's really it's really something special but yeah Goose um right so I'm an entrepreneur you're an entrepreneur and I just love to hear people's stories I find it so fascinating to hear how people get into their industries and stuff so you know my first question really is just talk me through the backstory of Goose. So what is your story as an entrepreneur and yep. how did you come to launch that first business? So it's a really interesting story. And I want to, I want to, I want to um, kind of shape this up because I think it's a useful story, even if you're not an entrepreneur. And the reason I would say that it's a useful story, even if you're not an entrepreneur is because it's a story of a pretty significant amount of transformation. So I spent, I, I dropped out of high school when I was 17 just to, because I was already entrepreneurial and starting my own business and all of that kind of stuff. And it was in the festival space. And I spent basically from the age of 17 to about the age of 30 organizing music and arts festivals all over the world, including in Somerset in the UK where you are as well. Now that was great. And I traveled the world and I had a good time, but also throughout my twenties, I developed a drug and alcohol addiction. And by the time I got to, you know, sort of 30 ish years old, I was, broke, homeless, alcoholic, drug addict, living on my office floor in a, in a shitty industrial part of, of Melbourne uh, in Australia. I had nothing going for me and I was going nowhere fast. And 
you know, I thought that I'd been a, a business owner, um, but I'd never, now, now, knowing what I know now, I realized I was never actually really running a business. We were just sort of cobbling together a whole bunch of activities and uh, sending invoices doesn't make it doesn't make a business. Now, when I was uh, on that office floor and I was, and I, you know, it was pretty much right at the, the, the bottom of, of where anyone would like to get to, I met my partner, Gabby. And um, she actually came to work for me. Uh, for we were working together in um, in the festival scene as well. We realised that we were going to we were on a fast track to nowhere. Like we could see no direction that the that the current trajectory was going to get us to a life that we wanted to share together. And for the first time, I had something to live for. And so I said, well, you know, let's let's try and create a better life. What are we going to do with our life? How are we going to you know how are we going to get out of this quicksand? How are we going to try and create something for ourselves? And we'd seen people make money in real estate. So sort of where we were in Melbourne. You know, we'd seen people's parents buy properties in whatever the 80s for like $70,000 or whatever. And then now that they're worth millions and we're like, aha, so that's the secret. You just buy real estate. And I remember speaking to someone at the time uh, and I said, so so real estate just doubles every seven years, right? Which is a pretty common belief that that people have, particularly around in Australia about real estate. Real estate just doubles every, every seven years. And he was like, yeah, I think that's how it works. I was like, okay, so you just buy anything and then it doubles every seven years. Yeah, yeah, I think that's how it works. And so- Armed with that um, incorrect piece of information and nothing else, uh, we went and successfully bought the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time and it lost a bunch of money. And so we tried to get a, a step forward in our uh, our journey in life and realized we made a massive mistake. But it, that was also right around, right about the time that I had gotten sober and um, thankfully uh, sober today as well, still for, for a very long time. But had that during that period of time, it was kind of like I felt like my my mind was waking up for the first time in you know a decade, and I could think clearly. And in, in, faced with this kind of problem where it was like, okay, hang on a second, we tried to invest in real estate, that didn't work, but clearly it works for some people. So why does it work sometimes? Like, how could you identify? How how could you try and find success and avoid failure? And how might the, how could we make this work for us? And really, it was just about trying to solve a problem for ourselves. So we set. So with the, with the sort of clarity of mind and, and a bit of an obsessive personality, we went on a, on, a, on a bit of a quest to try and work out, okay, how does this work? How could we not make this mistake again? Um, about a year into that journey, we'd, we'd, we'd basically started to build some, you know, pretty decent investment theses and all of this kind of stuff. And we thought, you know what, we're not experts here, but maybe we could help a few people avoid the same mistake that we made about a year before. And so we started, we started Dashdot. Now, Dashdot at its core is a property investment company. And for anyone who's listening to this thinking, geez, a real estate agent, trust me, I know. I had never had any aspirations to be a real estate agent. And I still don't self-identify as a real estate agent, even though technically, technically I am licensed as one. Um, it was never a great aspiration to be a real estate guy, but we saw an opportunity to like real estate is really interesting because it's the single largest asset class in the entire world, larger than all the stock, larger than all the stock markets combined. But it's also the least understood. But it's also the single greatest way for 99% of the population to create wealth. Even if they're not property investors, if they ever end up owning a home, it's going to be the best way to create wealth. And so we saw this real opportunity to, to, to help people and, and to do something different. Now, there's a lot to unpack there because we've, we've since developed pretty wild technology and all of that kind of stuff. But the point that I want to get to here is when we started the business, we had $5,000 to our name. No safety net, no backup. We'd never worked in the industry before. We didn't have any network. We didn't know any property investors. We didn't. We didn't have anything. We'd never done sales and marketing before. We'd never really run a business before, you know. And so we were really starting from scratch, and we burnt the boats. And we really decided that we were going to make it work 
come hell or high water. And at the very start, when we had no money, we had to choose between running ads or eating food. And we chose to run ads and then we'd walk around the supermarket eating food off the shelves. That was how we would, how we'd get by. So we were really, you know, we were really doing it pretty tight early on. And then subsequently we've made a, we've had a huge amount of success, but it hasn't been an easy road. So did you want me to dig into that a little bit further or did you want to kind of Man, man, that that's great. Um, I mean, one of the things that I think as well is nowadays I'm so I'm so sick of <laughs> I'm not sick of it because everyone's success is fantastic to every degree, but I'm so sick of people hearing the easy road up, mm-hmm. and I'm starting to really fall in love with the stories like yours of people who beat adversity and beat the odds and beat certain things to get to where they are today. I think that's just so much more inspiring and profound than so many more of the stories I've been hearing nowadays. But obviously what what would you say was, was there a certain moment or like a, because some people talk about like a light bulb moment or something. Was there a certain moment where everything changed? Was that meeting Gabby or was that just the day you decided I'm going to try and stop the addiction stuff? Mm. Where did it change for you, do you think? Or was it a gradual process towards a better life, do you think? Um, no, there was one, there was a significant, so there's, there's obviously in anyone's journey, there's multiple, there's multiple sliding doors moments. That even if there's one big aha, there's multiple ahas, you know what I mean? And so um, certainly meeting Gabby, that was a big, you know, big shift, but the, but the real, the real shift, the real shift was right before I got sober, it was March, 2018. And my drug and alcohol um, problem had gotten way out of control to give you some context. I'm not trying to glamorize this. I'm just trying to give you some context. Um, and I was working on a festival site uh, out in the middle of the bush in Australia. And so I was at work and this was a work day. I would wake up and I would do about a gram of cocaine and drink half a bottle of vodka. And then I would go and get my morning coffee. That's how I was starting the day. And so it had gotten pretty wild. And Gabby was also at that festival site and she left. She looked at me. She said, I can't watch you kill yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to go. And I was like, fair enough. So she left. And I realized that if I didn't make a change, two things were going to happen. One, I'd lose Gabby and two, I'd end up, killing myself not from a kind of suicide but just from from substance abuse Mm. and to be honest i didn't really care that much about myself but i realized that i that in my relationship with gabby i finally had something i finally had something to to live for and something that i was scared of losing so on that basis that was the kind of like you know i finished that festival went went home met met up with Gabby and said, right, I'm making the change and actually made the change. So that was a huge shift. That was a huge shift for me. And there's been multiple, by the way, because like even just in the context, that was like a massive shift. That started the ball rolling. But so many things have had to happen. So many things have had to change. I mean, to just to give a little bit of wrapper to this, because you can hear people kind of say, hey, yeah, we're successful and whatever. But, you know, we, we've grown 18,000% in the last three years, our company. Like it's a pretty significant uh, growth story. That's from the back of having never done anything like that before, not anyone, not even knowing anyone, anyone else. Even just the, even just the moment of becoming stepping into the real estate sector was a huge shift. I had to let go of basically all of my friends because everyone was like, "Well, what the hell? You turn it into a real estate guy," and they didn't <laughs> understand it. And the identity shifting that had to change through that whole process has been phenomenal. And you know, we can talk about the different inflection points in the business and we can talk about all of that kind of stuff. But I think the moment that you uh, decide 
that you're no longer satisfied with the status quo, whatever that is, by the way, you don't have to be an alcoholic and a drug addict like I was. The status quo for you could just be, you know, the fact that you're working a nine to five job that you hate and you have, and you, and you don't, maybe you don't have any friends and maybe you just go to work and go home and watch TV and that's it. And just wait for the next week. Maybe that's it. And maybe, maybe you're, you know, reasonably healthy and you do all the right stuff, but like maybe the status quo for you is just actual absolute monotony. It doesn't have to be an extreme. And so the biggest shift in your life will come when you consciously decide that you're no longer prepared to settle for the status quo. At that point, you become the master and commander of your own destiny. That is when all the change happens. Someone quote that and stick it on a freaking t-shirt because that is awesome, man. Very, very inspiring stuff. And honestly, dude, I'm proud of you, man. I'm I'm proud to hear that story. I think it's absolutely inspiring. And you know, it, it just goes as a testament to anyone struggling with any kind of substance abuse that I think it just shows you because you've got you right there sitting in Thailand today, living the freaking dream. And you're just doing great. So it's fantastic to see and it's worth it. You can get through it. It's going to it's gonna change your life. But obviously, um, after having a look at what you do, uh, as you mentioned as well, it's evident that you're just absolutely crushing it right now. And you mentioned you uh, in, in the uh, description stuff, you mentioned that you are running two of Australia's most dynamic, innovative and fastest growing companies. Well done. <laughs> what do you feel have been the biggest reasons and factors that may have contributed to that success and explosive growth? Like you said, I mean, ridiculous. 18,000%. What, what, yeah. what's the, what's the secret not to reveal sources and methods, but you know, what, I don't what know. You do, it's what actually, it's actually a lot more simple than people give it credit, but if it's right, I'll, sh I'll frame it up with a, um, I'll frame it up with a bit of a backstory and it's going to continue on for where we just left off. I think it's useful. So, um, as I mentioned, when we when we just started the business, we had five thousand dollars, no safety net, no backup. We were eating food off the supermarket shelves, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. And then we got some traction. Now we could we could dig into how we got traction and stuff, but actually that's less important than actually what happened next because we started getting some traction and we went from basically like no revenue or nominal revenue to about one hundred eighty thousand dollars a month. And we thought we were rock stars. We were like, aha, we've solved business. Oh, look at us we're like we're like god's gift to like entrepreneurship we just thought we were the best and so we moved from the place we were living at the time which i affectionately called the crack den um if that gives you any indication of of what the kind of living circumstances we were in at that point in time <laughs> exactly and, what it says in the tin right <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much you didn't want to touch the walls otherwise you, you know anyway so uh, we moved from the crack den to a beautiful place in uh, Bondi Beach in Sydney, which a lot of people have probably heard of from Bondi Rescue and stuff. And we were like, yeah, we've made it, you know, we're on top. And we started trying to grow the business. And by growing the business, you know, we were trying to hire people. We were trying to do all this kind of stuff. And quite frankly, we really didn't know what we were doing. And um, that was all through sort of 2019. We got to January, 2020. And I realized that we were not building a business that was going to be like a sustainable long-term, like, you know, we, we'd been thinking too short. We just didn't have the right foundations in place, basically. In fact, there was another turning point moment because a mentor of mine said, Goose, do you know what your problem is? He said, you don't have any business acumen. And I was like, man, like a hit in the face, like a ton of bricks. I was like, damn it. He's right. I actually don't know what they, we've worked out marketing and sales, but that doesn't mean you've worked out business. And so in January, 2020, we decided to, to descale the business, to, to go, to go backwards, to go forwards. We had a team of six. Um, at the time, and we said, you know what? I think we need to kind of just wind back, let everyone go, just pull back a little bit, reset a foundation, then we can grow again. So we did that in February. And then in March, uh, COVID hit. 
and we and it's the end of March. We so we just let everyone go, and we were just like, okay, trying to reset, and then COVID hit. And so in the first week of April, we 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 you know we had a ninety seven percent loss of revenue, and also we had an unconditional money back guarantee policy for all of our clients, which means that any all the people who paid us money had could just turn around and say, can we just have all our money back? So we had ninety four percent of our clients ask for their money back. And we had ninety, we had a ninety-seven percent loss of incoming revenue. So we were back again. We had to move. We had to down. We had to downsize. We'd gone from the nice apartment. We had to find the cheapest apartment we could find in Bondi, move there, and we were back once again working out how we were going to eat food. We were back to eating cans of beans and stuff. We were back all the way to square one. And that was obviously extremely challenging. We went through a very uh, a protracted period of like six, seven months of real, you know on the line type stuff. Mm. It was also the best possible thing ever. Like I'm so grateful for that period because it was during that period of time that we really started to think about what, what did the foundations of the business need to look like in order for us to build a truly iconic company that lasts. And one of the things we worked out, you know, there's, there's heaps, we could dig into all the different ways to create competitive advantage and growth and growth capability and scalability and stuff. But really the most important thing is people and most, more specifically people and culture. And so we realized that if we wanted to get to where we wanted to get to, if we wanted to realize our vision of what the business would need to be, what it could be, it was going to come down to getting the right people on the bus, attracting and retaining the right talent. The only way you can do that, by the way, is to build a business that people want to be at. So it's not about paying them more money. It's about creating a place where they feel inspired every single day. So that, that means thinking about things like your mission, your vision, your values, but then actually living those out. And the benefit is I'd never had a real job. I've still, like, I've never had a real job. I've, I don't know what it's like to go into a big office building somewhere and sit in a cubicle and do all of that kind of stuff. I've heard stories about what happens in those kind of places. And to be honest, I'm like, why the hell would anyone want to do that? The blessing was Gabby and I had never, we'd never had a real job, so to speak. And so when we were thinking about, okay, well, what is, a, what is our workplace? How are we going to design a workplace? We literally got to sit there and think, okay, well, if this was us, which it is, uh, what, what would it need to look like for us to want to be there? And so then we started to build a business based around that, based around this, you know, the business is based around impact in the first instance anyway, but putting in that at the front, but also creating a working experience that makes every single team member proud to be there and inspired to be there and gives them look we do all kinds of ridiculous things like unlimited paid annual leave and you know work from anywhere and like all kinds of different stuff but really those are features designed to make sure that we can attract and retain the right people because without people you you're not going to get anywhere and people will solve all of the problems you've got because you could say something like uh you know what you need to do you need to get great product market fit in order to grow well that is true um, but did you know that you could find the best marketer in the world and they would certainly help you <laughs> with your messaging, right? Or you could find the best um, product person in the world and they'll help you. You can find people to solve the problems. And so it becomes a who, not a how question. And the more that people can understand that, the better. I think one of the stupidest things I hear some business owners say is, or I've heard quite a lot is, liabilities walk on two, two legs. You know, a lot of business owners think like, oh, I don't hire any team members, you know, just keep it lean, don't get any people and they're just an expense. And look, to a certain degree, you want your business to be efficient and you should think, you know, don't throw people at systems problems and there's some really, don't just, don't just hire willy-nilly. But um, 
you know, but you've also got to recognize that the the single best pathway, the, the greatest pathway to success that you're ever going to have is going to be with the people. Now, to give to, to give the listeners a little bit of context around what I'm talking about here as well, on the 1st of January, 2021, we had a team of four. 18 months later, we had a team of 85 and we've never raised any venture capital or anything like that. So we went from four to 85 in 18 months, uh, purely funded by the growth of the business, which is a very steep learning curve. How to on- find, attract, onboard, retain, all that stuff. Mm, so true, man. Um, yeah, two points I'm taking from that that have kind of sprung to mind from hearing what you said is that one thing I think people uh, people who are successful tend to realize as well is that we're all just, we're, we're all a mix. We've all got a pro, we've all got a con, we've all got a strength, we've all got a weakness. And I feel like when you when you take that kind of a thing and you apply it to the business world, it's very easy to recognize. If you can rec- if you can lose your ego and recognize that you've got a weak point, for example, then you can get people who aren't weak at that subject to fill that role. And that's how you build a team of people who can just compliment you on your, on your strengths and then fill those gaps as well. And I think the other thing people, uh, a point I made recently as well was that, people who get successful that you you, when you are sole proprietor you're someone who's just running a business by yourself for example or even two people you realize very quickly that as the business grows the tasks also mount up and then your time becomes more stretched than you have less time to actually deal with the stuff that matters and these people who get successful they buy their time back they don't just use the money to compile money they buy their time back by building a team of people who can save their time so that they can do the tasks which grow the business and not just the mundane stuff like the customer support and the run to the post office if you're in if you're in a in a in a in a business like my one where you're selling physical products but okay so with entrepreneurs especially like myself i found that there is at least one or a few things that we all do it's like our unique trait almost there's something that we all do which is just unique to us which just helps us get through the day or the week or just productivity hacks that kind of a thing so um a few things which maybe you do which may be slightly unorthodox for example or unique that help you in their your productivity optimization just general day-to-day life um is there something you do that you can share with our audience which maybe they can kind of take away apply and benefit from in just daily life and business which you think has just helped you tremendously in this ridiculously explosive growth path yeah so yes and no so there's not some kind of like magic um potion that i drink every single day but i think it's like some uh simplified ways to view the world which can create significantly asymmetrical outcomes so i don't use to-do lists for a start to-do lists are a a complete utter waste of time the best way for you to get the most amount of things done and also by the way live your best life is to optimize what i call a perfect week and then to do time blocking and it's this is like I'm not I don't invent any of this stuff, but it'd be you'd be would be very surprised how few people actually do this. And so the way that you think about that in the first instance is you map out your entire week in 15 minute increments. Like I'm talking like what time are you going to sleep? Uh, when are you going to take a break? When do you check your phone? But the but the point is you first map out all of your priorities. So whatever those priorities are. So for example, for me, you know it's a priority for me to exercise every single day. So I make sure I block that in there. Then once you then then that way you get to optimize your time 
to actually focus on the things that matter when they matter to you the most. Then beyond that, you don't have a to-do list. If you're going to get it, if, you, if it's going to exist, right? If anything needs to be done, it must go into your calendar. And then you get to live by the calendar. Because if, 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 if there is a thing that you believe needs to happen, that thing will take time. It could take 15 minutes. It could take five hours. It's going to take time. And so unless you schedule time for that, it will not happen. That also goes, by the way, for your relationships. Like it goes for everything. And so I don't believe that just being productive at work is actually the answer. What you need to be is productive at life. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we only have one life. We've got this beautifully fantastic, finite experience that we get to have. Work in the context of, of entrepreneurship or anything else should be a complement to our experience on the planet. And if it's not, you should change it. Now, if you're running a business, it might be hard, but the, 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 the joy comes from the personal development that you get out of it. So it's not even really about the money. And so the way you should think about your life is not how do I get more tasks done? It's how do I live a rich and full existence? And how do I move all of my priorities forward? Because I do some mentoring with some uh, business owners and, it's, and you know, I see the same thing you know, with, with everyone. People might be like, I'm, I'm, I'm busting my ass in the business and I just, I feel like I'm not getting any traction and I'm working 16 hours a day. And, oh man, I can't even, I don't even have time to go to the gym anymore. I don't even have time to get fitness. I'm like, okay, cool. So like, why don't we stop working 16 hours a day? Why don't we get the gym back in there? By the way, how much time are you spending with your wife and kids? Let's get that in there. Because then what you do is you actually then constrain the amount of time you've got. And a great, a great like heuristic to think about this as well is if you went to the doctor tomorrow and he said, hey, Louie, Here's the thing. You're on, you, if you work any more than two hours a day, you're going to drop dead. How would you change the way that you think about spending your time? You would tr massively optimize the way you're spending your time. And so these, this kind of like time management uh, kind of spectrum, I think is really one of the biggest things that people need to think about. It's not, there's no it's not Pomodoro technique or it's not some weird supplement you can take or something like that. It's, literally taking the opportunity to sit down and go, what does my life look like? And am I getting the most important things done? And then prioritizing mm -hmm. those things. And the best way to do that is with time blocking in your calendar. Great points, mate. Um, right. I'm going to be totally honest with you then. So kind of asking for a friend here slightly. So I actually did exactly what you just described with time blocking in a calendar rather than to-do list, um, you know, a few months ago. <clears throat> and I've gone back to the to-do list recently. And what I found mm. was that in my life, I had these schedules and I had all these time blocks sorted out and everything. And then something would come up. For example, mm. like the parent would want something, a house thing done, or, you know, even something like the postman would knock on the door and need a, a signature or something, or someone would call me or just something throughout that day would just get in the way. And then it would just be like a, uh, you know, it, it's, it's that one break in the chain link that just uh, screws it all up. So um, if you were to give me some advice, for example, and obviously you're advising the listeners too, if you were to do this or be me and try again at this method, which mm -hmm. I know works, but I just found very difficult because of these interruptions almost into that daily schedule. Um, how do you fix that? And was it maybe just a case of me filling out that day too much and you need time blocks, but kind of big gaps between them? Yeah, talk me through it. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so there's a couple of really. So it's where most people fail at this, by the way. So don't don't be too worried about that. It's where most people go wrong. So things are always going to happen, 
right? No matter how well you plan it, things are always going to change. And so the way that you adjust it is you literally go into your calendar and you change it. So let's just say, let's just say you were supposed to, I don't know. Um, let's say you were supposed to go to a meeting, but then uh, podcast with Goose say- at uh, 2 p.m. <laughs> Yeah. And then something else happens, right? So here's the way I think about it. It's kind of like, it's like Tetris. You can move things around, but you can't delete things, right? Or you've got to work out your priorities. So that block, you would either need to say, can I do it in less time? Or, and then you would change it in the calendar. Or do I need to move that to somewhere else? And at some point, something's going to need to get compromised. So for me, I'm okay if I compromise my lunch, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good if I have a shorter lunch, right? So for me, I can kind of finesse that around if I need to knock off a half hour or whatever. It's, it's kind of okay. But you've got to work it out. And you, the thing, the real key thing is you've got to change it in the calendar. So if that's going to bump your day back 15 minutes, then you've got to go and bump everything 15 minutes. And if there's something that can't, can't be bumped 15 minutes, then you've got to work out how you're going to prioritize something that's trying to overlap that. But the point is do the practice to go and move it in your calendar because your calendar should be the most accurate reflection of what is coming up, but also what has actually happened. Because stuff happens to me all the time. Like maybe a meeting will cancel, by the way. You might have a meeting and then it's canceled. It's like, oh, well, now what am I going to do? I'll then go, what am I going to do? Prioritize it. And then I'd block that in, even though I don't need to, because I'm in that block in my calendar, I could just do the thing. I will then retrospectively go back and I'll go put the put the time block in and say, All right, what am I doing? Bang. That's important for personal accountability. That's the first thing. The other thing is that the other place people go wrong is they they back-to-back tasks too much. So for example, you might have gym for one hour and then breakfast for one hour immediately next to it. Well, unless your gym is in the kitchen, (laughs) there's probably going to be some travel time between those two points. And so thinking through all of those things, like even for me, I I travel quite a lot and it's like, you could very easily block out, you know, check-in time, whatever, three hours, but I'm like, no, 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 no. There's travel to the travel time to the airport. Then there's check-in time. Then there's security. Then there's work at the airport. Then there's boarding time. And there's like five or six different things that make up that block, which could easily just be blocked out as a... And so getting granular about all of that kind of stuff really, really, really matters too. But I also am a massive advocate of blocking in the breaks that you need. Because when you don't, then you allow yourself to get distracted. So in our business, we use Slack. Um, and as a kind of internal company messaging tool, but some people might use Teams, but also your emails, same, same, same thing. If you don't create time to go and allow yourself to be distracted by all of these things, then the distractions will creep into the time blocks that you've got to do the other things. And so, for example, what I would do is I would have like, right, I'm going to do XYZ task for an hour or XYZ project for an hour. Then I'm going to have a 15 minute gap before I start the next one. In that 15 minute gap, I'm going to go to the bathroom, get a glass of water, check Slack, do all the stuff. It'll actually be blank in my calendar because it'll just be like, right, I'm just... And then I get bang into my next block and, I, and I'm good and I never miss anything. And so if you optimize for that, because if you just try and cram everything in with no realistic perspective on how you actually need to spend your time, then, then you'll end up just sabotaging yourself. So mm, Really good points. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have another go at that actually. And um, I'm, I think you're absolutely right. I did absolutely back to back those tasks and you know what the, the funny thing is when you when you start introducing that sort of a, a method towards things what i found was it was like i I was, I was almost like a hummingbird towards just a, to spoon of sugar or something i just wanted to fill my day up from nine in the morning till nine at night with stuff and then i realized how 
dead I was by about two in the afternoon. So yeah. you have to you have to factor in obviously rest times and um and you know every, everyone's kind of got their their thresholds and stuff and they've got their limits. So you have to be adaptable to adjust that schedule, right? Yeah. So I just want to quickly jump in there because obviously I'm actually quite passionate about this specific topic because it's, it's so so you only have a f- like a few hours of really productive output time mm. in a day. So for, so I get really clear on like when I'm productive to do what I call deep work stuff, asynchronous work, things things that I'm going to work on myself and then meeting times. And so for me, I'm, I don't want to say useless, but like, like I'm not at my highest uh, mental faculty in the afternoons. Totally cool to be in meetings, totally fine to be, you know, it's, it's the afternoon now, we're good, right? But if I was to sit down and try and do some kind of deep work in the afternoon, man, I'd be like, I'd be staring out the window. I just <laughs> so op- optimize for that. And then also optimize for breaks, right? Because you you actually can't focus for more than 60 to 90 minutes. No one can. Like 90 minutes is the outside. And so every 90 minutes at max, you've got to take a 15 minute break. 15 minute break could be a 15 minute walk. Just walk to the end of the street and back. Uh, it doesn't have to be a full 15 minutes, but just like take a break, reset, get out of the room, get a glass of water, do the thing, then go back to it you effectively reset your productive capability each time and you actually have a lot more bandwidth. So, Yeah, it's true. And I think something that's kind of slightly overlooked now, I mean, I, I remember me when I, when I was a bit younger uh, and a kid, which is like, you know, a few people around me, my friends would say that's like two weeks ago. <laughs> but I remember the days when they were saying, you look at your phone and you should take a like a, a an hour's break after 30 minutes of looking at your phone or something. And nowadays we've got, we, we've literally got the, we've we've put it on our heads like we've got headsets for this stuff so it's funny how that's changed but the the truth of the matter is it actually hasn't changed too much too we get tired like our eyes get tired man we need to we need to rest adequately to be able to you know I'll, i'll be going to the gym later and it's you know from a background of tennis i think it's really relevant to mention as well that i think that and what I know from personal trainers and my experience as well is that it's very easy to not rest enough and then not realize how much the lack of rest has affected your training. Like, for example, you would have lifted more if you'd had more rest and you would have probably worked a bit harder than you than if you had um, and then then if you ha- hadn't rested, for example. So it, you might not notice how much it affects you and stuff, but actually the, the output and the quality of that output can sometimes far outweigh just that little bit of extra time that you're compromising to not rest. Um but just if we're getting super technical, just last bit on that. Um, have you found there's anything really special in terms of like calendars that you use, which is like exceptional? I mean, for me, I just use the Apple calendar because it syncs across platforms. But um, anything that you're using there, which um, is unique? No, no. And, and I think that the, the whole point is to make it like not that it's not that special. Right. <laughs> uh, so I, I the the base calendar is Google Calendar. But for me, it syncs to my um, Apple calendar on my on my laptop. I have a. I don't have an Apple phone, um, so so on my phone it's my Google Calendar app, but I prefer the UX in iCal. I think it's better than Google Google Cal. But mm-hmm. I keep it really simple. It should be so simple. You're not looking for some fancy widget or anything like that. It's like it's it's just like you need one single source of truth in how you're spending your time. Like I don't I don't get decision fatigue anymore. Like. Just that alone, <laughs> just that alone that I'm like, okay, I know exactly what's happening because it's in the calendar. And if it's not in the calendar, it's not happening. Just the fact that I'm not sitting there going, ah, what am I supposed to do now? Just that alone has probably made us an extra bloody couple of million bucks a year. Nice. Out of interest, um, 
are you the person who's sorting your calendar? Do you have someone who's helping you to organize and schedule all of that? Because obviously the more busy you get, the harder it is to be like, okay, I'm going to spend an hour this evening planning my day tomorrow. Like, have I missed this? Have I missed this? So how important is it to have like a team around you who may do that? Or are you like so locked in on your stuff that you can just roll with it? A bit of both. I'm a calendar Nazi. So I haven't outsourced. So you can outsource tasks, but you can't outsource responsibility. This is an mm. important thing for everyone to remember. So, um, and the calendar to me is so important that I'm never, I'm not just like, geez, I hope somebody else has got this sorted out. I, I'll just do whatever. I'm, I'm always, I live in it. So I'm very in touch with it. That being said, yes, I do have an EA and, uh, and she, uh, she books all the staff and, and to do that effectively, I've had to create rules, right? So then there's rules. So I'm like, Hey, here's the rules. This is the kind of thing that can be booked between these times. It's the kind of thing that can be booked between these times. These things are not negotiable. Don't change these things. There must be this much gap between these things. You just create a set of rules. And then if you create the rules correctly, then you can just hand those rules to someone else and go, great, go for it. And you mm. deal with it. And then it's very like, it's it's like 90% correct most of the time, right? And so the, the adjustments are minor. So it's pretty good. Strong points, man. Very strong points. Um, okay. So last question then. So lastly, you know, what would be some of your advice for a young entrepreneur who wants to start his or her first business or venture? Um, any tips, tricks, general quality advice to give to our next gen founders? I mean, business has changed. Like when I when I was a bit younger and stuff, a, a website was someone who could code and do all this crazy stuff. And, you know, you'd need a plethora of knowledge to do it and, and nowadays you can go to Shopify and you can open a store in a day like uh, what's your kind of just general sort of message to the youngsters now who want to start a business but not too sure how to kind of stand out from the crowd which is becoming you know business is becoming more accessible to everyone nowadays yes yeah, so I've got a couple of thoughts on this so number one um, I think business should be accessible to everyone I believe in a future where almost everyone is an entrepreneur and I think that that is a really good thing. And in fact, even if someone's listening to this and they're getting a paycheck working for a single employer, you're still an entrepreneur. You are, you have a certain skill set that somebody in the marketplace, i.e. the business owner, wants, and they're prepared to pay you for that skill set. You, you, you've, you've effectively got a service business, but you've only got one client. So that's the way to think about it. And I think if more, if more people realize that they are an entrepreneur right now, that would change the way they think about things. That would change the way they'd show up in, in how they work. And they might just decide, am I even in the right business? Because most people, you know, if you're not happy with your job, you know, change the business you're in. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is, um, and we can go into some kind of like tactics on how to get started as well. But I think the very most important thing is to actually ask, what do you want? Most people never really ask this. Like, what do you want? What do you really, really, really want? Now at the start, you might think that it's like, I want to go make heaps of money. Uh, let me just save you a little bit of hassle, right? And this is not, it sounds funny when, when someone who's kind of like gone on that journey comes back and says, it's actually, you realize that's not what it's about. Like, yeah, money, money. They say money can't buy happiness. That's bullshit. Like it definitely can help you live a better life where you get to live in greater alignment with your values, but it's not all about the money, right? And I know people who have basically no money and they're like, you know, living off the land and doing all of that kind of stuff, they're the happiest people on earth. So it's not about the money. It's about, it's about, it's about how the money you make helps you to live your life in absolute alignment with your values. And so what tends to happen is uh, thanks to social media and all that kind of stuff, 
people who think about starting a business, their paint, the picture is painted that success means big, right? Whether that be millions of dollars or hundreds of employees or, or any of that kind of stuff. And in fact, the problem with that is it stops people getting started. I caught up with a friend of mine a few weeks ago and he's working in a, in a government job. And he said to me, he said, you know, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to whatever, you know, have more of X, Y, Z in my life, but I, but I don't want to have to go through what you've gone through talking about me. Cause he's seen me grow, like work really hard and grow a really big, a medium business. And he's like, dude, I don't want to have to do all that. And I'm like, you don't have to do all that. <laughs> you know, like, like you could create a $1 million a year business working, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week from home and spend time with your family and you and like have just a couple of team members and be good, like, and be at like, be like 70% profit margin and never grow beyond that. Now, most business owners would never get to seven figures, right? So that can sound pretty wild, but it's actually so much easier than you think. Most of that is just in your mindset. But everyone thinks like, oh my God, I need to go and try and grow an eight-figure business or a billion-dollar company or whatever. And to be honest, you probably don't need to. Mm. Like if you if you if you if you're running a lean business that's like relatively small, that's niche in your interests, you could be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, possibly even millions of dollars a year in your back pocket and having a bloody good time doing it. And that's okay. You don't necessarily need to try and become a, a billionaire. And so thinking about what you want is really, 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 really important. And so if you get clear on what you want, which is probably just going to be like live a good life, <laughs> right? Probably going to be something like that, uh, which is something I've realized along this journey as well. Because I was like, super yachts, jets, I was all of that. And then I was like, hang on a second. What I want is to be fit and healthy and be able to spend time at the beach. Ah, got it. Okay, got nothing to do with the CPRs, right? And so thinking about that, I think is really, really important. On a kind of like practical level, um, you want to pick something that you're interested in. People say, follow your passion. Yeah, that's cool. I, I don't necessarily think you need to follow your passion. I don't, I don't say don't follow your passion. Um, I think that's fine. If you follow your passion, the risk you run is that your passion will become your work and you may start to... You know, you may not be able to get the same joy from it that you once did, but you should be, should be something you're interested in. So we help people in real estate. I don't love real estate. Like I'm not one of those people who's sitting there like fawning over pictures of property on the internet. I don't really <laughs> care. Uh, what I really care about is the complexity of the problems we've had to solve in order to help people do it successfully. So I'm really interested in it, but I'm not passionate about it. And I think that's, that's useful. The other thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you're picking a niche or an industry that is growing. So one of the biggest um, uh, success markers of any company is to be in an industry that is growing. If you start a business in a declining industry, the chances of you becoming successful fall off a cliff just phenomenally. So I don't know, just to pick something really silly, like imagine if you went into the phone book industry, once upon a time, phone books are everywhere. They still exist, believe it or not, but obviously it's a massive decline. Newspapers, for example, are a declining declining industry. And so yeah. picking, pick, picking a growing market is going to be really, really key because a rising tide lifts all ships. You don't have to be that good. You could, you could be mediocre and become phenomenally successful if you just find something you're interested in, in an industry that is growing, like you don't even have to be better than everyone. You don't even have to be the, you could be like middle of the road and still become wildly successful. If you just take some time, which leads me on to the next uh, point, change your time horizons. Because when you get started, you don't really have any context of time. And you just think like, oh, well, I must become really successful in like 12 months or I'm a loser. But if you think about what you can achieve over the next three, five or 10 years, just do some, get a spreadsheet out, 
put a simple exponential exponential formula in there. And if you say like start, all right, what if I made a hundred grand this year? And what if I increase that by what, I don't know, 50% a year for the next five years, what number would that get to? And it's going to be pretty bloody big, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, whoa, holy smokes. And you would be so surprised what you can achieve over a few years. Anyone on earth has the capability to become basically anything they want to become or any person they want to become in a space of three to five years if they commit. And so changing your time horizons and just looking a little bit further into the distance is going to set you up for a lot lot greater success. Now, final point, and I know that I've hit a few bits here, but I'm keen on this one. So in a very practical uh, sense, where most business owners are sleeping, particularly early business owners, is building an email list. So I see lots of business owners and they might be running ads or doing whatever and whatever, but they don't have a solid, they don't actually focus on building their email list and doing using email marketing to grow your email, to, to, to nurture your audience. That is where most of the success for Dashdot has come. We're currently doing about 1.5 million a month just to give you some sort of context around, around the revenue. Most wow. of that comes from our email list, right? So we run loads of ads, we do all that kind of stuff. And then most people end up in our email list and it's from the email list that they then book a call. And so... It's one of the, like, it, you actually have control of that market. And if you don't do that, you're just leaving money on the table. If all you did was build an email list with a simple lead magnet or whatever, send them an email every, every day or every two days, a value-based email, not a pitch, something that's designed to help them. And then if all you had was like a, a book a call button or a click here to buy button, just soft call to action in each email, you would have a at least a 1% lead to sale conversion rate and you'd be making money while you slept. It's super easy to do. And most business owners never do it. Wow. That's really interesting stuff. Um, you know, last, last points on that then I guess is something kind of applicable that someone who's running a business right now, even me, I mean, I think for, for a podcast, building the email list is, is, is really important. I haven't actually done that yet. So that's something I really need to get going on. But, um, like it's what's a, like a top tip for growing an email list and getting someone's email i mean my, my kind of interpretation and imagination for that would be you need to have like a a unique offer or like some a freebie of some kind that they have to sign up for and then get access to uh blah 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 but you know for some industries that can be a little complicated to find something that people might actually want even for free because uh, yeah just any advice for kind of growing an email why, name, why na- name name an industry that you think people don't want something for free just name one and i'll see if i can work it out mine <laughs> what can i give someone for free in a podcast for example Okay, so what problem are you solving for people? Um, well, obviously, the the concept of the podcast is that we are giving people ideas and, and nuggets of information from unique people. And even whether that's just inspiration, a great story to get you out of bed in the morning or just something really actionable. Like, for example, this podcast, I would I would put it down to a obviously the, the backstory of you inspirational. And then we've got to kind of a stage right now where it's more actionable information and really useful stuff. Um but this is free. Like it's a free podcast that is accessible yeah. to everyone. So, so what can I let, give? Let, let, yeah. So let me ask. So mm. the podcast gives free inspiration and all of that kind of stuff to people. What's the, what's the point of that? The point of that is so that they can go and create a better life. Mm-hmm. So they can take some information, they can get inspired and they can go take action on that. So then if you're thinking about like, if someone's sitting at home in their bedroom going, oh man, I've been listening to Louis' podcast. I'm getting juiced up. I'm ready to go. What am I going to do next? I, I, oh, shit. I don't really know what to do. What, what do they need? They probably need some kind of planning tool, right? It could be like a goal setting uh, framework. It could be a 
It could be a life planning work workbook. It could be something so they can take the inspiration and turn it into practical action, right? And you could create that. Hey, you've been listening to the podcast. Now it's time to set your own goals and take action to, to live a better life. Here's my, and it doesn't even need to be some whiz bang thing. It could just be something that actually gives people the framework to do the thing. Hey, here's set, set goals in the six area, in these six areas of life, set them now, set a 12 month goal, check in, here's a checklist or something like that. Something that's going to allow them to take the value that is provided for free and turn it into something practical and valuable for them as individuals. It's not about you. It's about them. So then if you create something that they're going to be like, oh my God, this is so cool. I finally got a template. I can knock out all my goals, stick it on. I'm going to print it out. I'm going to stick it on the wall. I'm going to look at it every day, right? Then that becomes a useful thing. And then you're helping people to progress on that journey. That'd be a simple way of doing it. Really good point. Yeah, I'm gonna have some. I'm gonna have some good thoughts about that. But yeah, I tell you what, this podcast is um beyond beyond the listeners. I'm sure I'm gonna get some great feedback from this. But beyond that, I mean, I've really benefited from this as well. But um, obviously, this is just one podcast, and then you've been on other ones, and you've got social media, you've got websites where we can find more stuff, and a, and a, a blog which uh, the, the name cracks me up. I love it as well. And uh, to quote one of my favorite movies, Top Gun, we're gonna have to go with a <laughs> talk to me goose. But <laughs> so obviously, that's our four questions done for today, man. Um, just shameless plug away website blog social media send my people uh over to your, to your awesome stuff so we can get more on you yeah cool um if you if you're listening to this podcast you're probably looking for ways to improve your life and if that is the case then i'd suggest the um the, my newsletter and blog is going to be a great place to start and that's blog.goosemcgrath.com it's called the wild goose chase newsletter it's a weekly newsletter and it's just full of actionable ideas and insights to help you live a better life it's great stuff in there by the way on um on lifestyle design and self-actualization, which I think your your listeners would, would enjoy. Outside of that, it's YouTube at Goose McGrath, Instagram at Goose McGrath. Pretty simple. Find us there. Great stuff. Goose, all I can say, man, is just thank you so much for joining me today for the Talk for podcast. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And just thanks for the, thanks for making the time and uh, and juggling what is clearly a very busy schedule uh, around this. Thanks, man. Appreciate it appreciate you too and uh thank you guys for listening this has been episode 92 and if you'd like to listen to the past episodes go and have a look at the channel and if you'd like to listen in for the future ones make sure to hit that subscribe button and spread some love by leaving a like and a comment signing off for now and fights on